I want you to hold them up real high. Repeat after me. Say, this is God's word. Not Pastor Evans' word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Today I want to talk to you about living a disciplined life. Everybody say living a disciplined life. Amen. If you expect to achieve great things in life, it is impossible. Say impossible. It is impossible to do so without exercising some level of discipline. Recently, I had a conversation with one of our members who recently completed their doctoral program. And he said to me, Pastor, it's been a six-year journey, but I did it. Everybody say, that's discipline. So I know he's in the house. So can we give a hand clap to Dr. Sam Nix? Can we do that? Stand up, Dr. Sam. Come on, give him a hand clap. So my goal today is to inform you, instruct you, and inspire you to raise your discipline level uh, in your life. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to find uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. And I'm using the Amplified Version this morning. That was Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. That's going to be our primary text. And for the sake of time, I want to jump right into it. But before we get started, I want to put in context what the word discipline means. And so I have three different types of definitions this morning. I have the dictionary definition, and then I'm going to give you my pastor's definition, and then I've kind of come up with my own definition of the word discipline, all right? So the dictionary defines discipline as activity, exercise, or a regimen that develops or improves a skill or training. There's a secondary dictionary definition, and it says training or conditioning. Say conditioning. Training or conditioning imposed for the improvement of physical powers, self-control, and then I added spiritual growth. Now, my pastor's definition is pretty simple, and that's why I'm throwing it out here. And his definition of, of discipline is enforced obedience. Everybody say enforced obedience. So what I've done is my definition is a combination of all of that. And so you may want to take a picture of it. But my definition of discipline is enforced obedience that produces growth, self-control, and success. I'm going to say that again. Everybody say self-discipline promotes growth, self-control, and success. Amen. So amplified version of Hebrews chapter 12. It's a lot of reading, but it's one context. And then what I'm going to do is give you three points this morning 
on how to develop a disciplined life. And then in the midst of my points, I'm going to give you three things that will hinder a person from from being disciplined. All right. The Amplified Version in Hebrews 12 verse 5 says, and I'm starting in the middle of verse 5. It says, my son, do not think lightly or scorn to submit to the correction and discipline of the Lord. Now, let me point out something. Because when you read the King James Version, it uses the word chastening. And so because we don't use that word every day, I wanted to use a version of the Bible that will really help us uh, understand what that word chastening means. And so that's why the Amplified changes that word from chastening to discipline because that's what it means when you look it up. So it says, my son, do not think lightly or scorn to submit to the correction and discipline of the Lord nor lose courage and give up and faint when you are reproved or corrected by him. For the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone who he what? Who he loves. He punishes, even scourges every son he accepts and welcomes to his his heart and cherishes. Verse 7, you must submit to and endure correction for discipline. Notice it says you must submit to and endure correction for discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not train and correct and discipline? Now, if you are exempt for correction and left without discipline in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate offspring and not the true sons of God. Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we yielded to them and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more cheerfully submit to the father of spirits and so truly live? Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short period of time and chastised us seemed proper and good to them. But he, God, he disciplines us for our certain good that we may become sharers in his own holiness. For the time being, no discipline. Watch this now because here's a focus verse. Everybody say for the time being. For the time being, no discipline brings joy but seems grievous and painful. But afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it a harvest of fruit which consists in righteousness, watch this, in conformity to God's will in purpose, thought, and action, resulting in right living and right standing with God. Someone say amen to that. So I'm going to give you three points, and here's the first point if you're taking notes this morning, and that is the purpose of discipline. The purpose of discipline. Now, I'm going to give you the purpose up front, and then we're going to dissect Hebrews like we just read. The purpose of discipline is to implement consistent, say consistent, consistent positive actions that are designed to, listen, eliminate or at least reduce negative behavior that results in an improved life. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of discipline is to implement consistent positive actions. And these positive actions are designed to eliminate or to minimize negative behavior. And that will at least result in an improved life. Who would like to have an improved life? Amen. So an improved life really consists of us putting some consistent positive actions into place. 
And when you do something positive long enough, it will reduce negative things. And then once the negative either is reduced or eliminated, then your life will improve. And so verse 6 tells us that the motive of why God disciplines us. It says here that the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone. Watch this now. Who he loves. So the motive behind God disciplining us and and he disciplines us primarily by his word and through his spirit. That's how he does it. God does not correct us with negative car wrecks. I hear people who have car wrecks say, God's trying to tell me something. God's not trying to tell you something through you having a car wreck. The devil is trying to kill you. You you don't put your kid's hand in the fire and say, I just want you to know it's hot. No, you tell them. You use your words and you train them that fire is hot, don't touch it. If they touch it, it's on them. So God loves us and that's why he disciplines us. And because many times in the natural, we were disciplined out of anger, our view of being disciplined is negative. Amen. And even though the reason why we were being disciplined was probably good, it was not viewed as positive to us because the motive seemed to have been out of anger. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen. I'm beating you uh, because I love you. How many heard that one before? But see, God's only motive in dealing with us is love. And so you and I must embrace discipline as a good thing. So we have to change our mindsets that God's discipline and his discipline towards us is because he loves us. Everybody say God disciplines us because he loves us. He lo- he's not mad. Even though our parents may have disciplined us out of anger, That's not why God disciplines us. He disciplines us because He loves us. His discipline, listen, is designed with us in mind. So let's look in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 12. Watch what it says. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh who corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For verily they, our parents, or whoever... For a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, that we might become partakers of his holiness. So listen, discipline is a good thing that feels bad that eventually produces good. I'm going to say that again. Discipline is a good thing that feels bad that eventually feels good. I'm going to say that one more time. Discipline is a good thing that feels bad, but eventually produces good. It's like uh, lifting weights. How many have lifted weights? Amen. I lifted weights long time ago. And when I did, it was not an exciting thing. As a matter of fact, after doing it a little bit, I woke up sore. How many know that feeling? You wake up sore. And so sometimes the discipline that we have to go through while we're doing it doesn't seem good. It doesn't make us happy and it sure doesn't feel good. But I'm going to show you here in just a second that in order for you and I to go through the discipline, we must have vision to do so. 
Amen. So the first point that I wanted you to see is the purpose of discipline. Here's point number two if you're taking notes, and that is the process of discipline. The process of discipline. And the process of discipline are the things you and I must do, the actions we must take, and then all the things that we must do that moves us toward a God-desired result or success. How many know God wants you to succeed in life? Amen. He wants us to succeed. Joshua 1.8, it said, God told Joshua, he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in that day and night that you may observe to do all that is written. And then he goes on to say, and then you shall make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So it is God's desire for us to succeed. Say this with me. Say, it is God's desire. For us to succeed. Amen. And just like any successful athlete has to kind of produce some type of consistent regiments for their life in order for them to be the best, you and I must have some disciplines as believers in place for us to succeed. Amen. Uh, I I am an admirer of any high-level athlete. Doesn't matter what team they play on. Doesn't matter what sport they play. I I love to see high-level athletes. And and what the, the thing that I look at is not just the results that they produce, which is what most people fall in love with. Most people fall in love with the with the watch this now with the end result of that athlete's discipline. But the part I like is what got them that way. Kobe Bryant, listen to me, Kobe Bryant, their team normally practice an hour and a half a day. But Kobe Bryant decided, no, I'm going to practice four hours a day. Amen. Kobe Bryant, when he played, would not leave practice without at least sinking 200 shots in the basket. And people look to see why maybe he achieved at his level. You know why he did? Because his discipline, everybody say his discipline. His discipline is what helped them to succeed. So discipline start, watch this, with daily actions that will eventually produce consistent patterns that lead to successful results. I'm going to say that again. Discipline starts with daily actions, say daily actions. Daily actions that will eventually produce consistent or uh, consistent patterns and that eventually lead to successful results. In other words, these are the things that you do that other people may not see. Most people want success, but they're not disciplined to do the things behind the scene to achieve it. Amen. How many want to be successful in life? Most everybody do, right? But it's the things behind the scenes that you do that people may not see that will allow you to succeed. Amen. And sometimes these things are the mundane tasks that seem to have no value, but it's the character that God is building, not just the task that you are doing. I'm going to say that again. See, see, God's trying to produce some discipline, and sometimes it comes in the form of just something that seems mundane, something that seems minute, something that seems like, oh, man, why am I doing this? I, I, know, why, I know how to do this. Why do they still have me doing this at work? I know 
They know I know how to do this. I train other people on how to do it. But the question is, has your character been built while you were doing it? Anybody can do the task, but it's not just the task that God is interested in. He's interested in the character, watch this, or the discipline that's being produced while we do it. Can somebody say amen? Can you imagine David? Here he was, a shepherd boy. He gets anointed to be king over Israel and then sent back into the sheepfold to watch sheep. The mundane thing of keeping sheep But yet he was anointed king of Israel. Amen. Faithfulness, listen to this, is the vehicle by which disciplines are developed. I'm going to say that again. Everybody say faithfulness. Now see, that's a Bible term. But faithfulness is the vehicle by which disciplines are developed. In other words, you know, faithfulness is just doing something consistently. See, the, the problem with most people is we want people to be faithful, but we're not. Amen. Maybe if you're a supervisor, maybe most of your workers are late because you are. Okay, let me stick to my notes because that didn't go too well. It's in the discipline process that God is working in us and through us and for us. Watch verse 10 in uh, Hebrews that we read. It says, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And the word profit there means, watch this, our good and benefit. In other words, God disciplined us for our good and our benefit. Now, there are three hindrances. It's probably more than three, but there are three major hindrances that I've discovered that will keep a person from being disciplined. In other words, these are hindrances to discipline. How many could have some more discipline in your life? Let me just see if I'm talking to the right crowd. Okay, all right. So here we go. Here's, here's a discipline hindrance number one, and that is laziness. Now, just look at your neighbor and say, he ain't talking to you. But he's talking to you, though. <laughs> now, the Living Bible in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24 says this. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and never succeed. Proverbs twenty-four thirty in the Living Bible says, I walked by the field of a certain lazy fellow. And I saw that it was overgrown with thorns and it was covered with weeds and the walls were broken down. I just described someone's backyard. Why you got all those weeds in your yard? People walk by the why the grass is greener, not greener weeds. He said, I passed by the field of a certain lazy fellow. Then it says in verse 32, then as I look, I learned this lesson, a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Verse 34 says, it means that poverty will break in upon you suddenly like a robber and violently like a bandit. One of the hindrances to discipline is laziness. Everybody say laziness. And that's something we can control. Amen.
Laziness is just a decision to delay something you need to be doing. Come on. I I normally wake up at 3.30 on Sunday mornings. I decide to get up at 5 this morning. Well, I was running late. You know why? Because I have a certain regimen on Sunday mornings. I'm going to do it every Sunday. I wake up early enough. So y'all, before y'all got here, I'm prayed up. Y'all pray. I'm praying for you all. And so this morning I decided I wanted to take another hour worth of sleep. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Come on now. Everybody say laziness. Here's number two, and that is lack of vision. Most people don't have discipline in their lives because they don't have vision for what discipline will do later on. Proverbs 29, 18 in the King James Version says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I love the New American Standard Bible in Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, watch this, the people are unrestrained. In other words, if you don't have vision, you don't have certain things in your life that will help you move forward. And see, I love Hebrews 12 too. This is talking about Jesus because Jesus shows us, well, listen, how to get through discipline to experience the results and success for discipline. And it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, watch this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, he went through the cross, he went through the discipline of the cross because he saw the joy that was set before him. It said that he he was going to eventually sit down on the right hand of God. And that's what Jesus saw. And so that's what you have to see when you're going through discipline. You have to see the end result. You keep working out till you start seeing the results. Here's the last one. And this one sounds different, but it's our last success efforts. Our last success efforts. You may not know this, but this can be a hindrance to discipline in your life. And Luke chapter 12, verse 16, it talks about a man, and I'm just going to read it uh, quickly here. It says, and he spoke a parable, and the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty. He thought to himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. And he says, you know what? I will pull down my barns. I will build something greater. And then I'll store my fruits and my goods. And then, verse 19, he says, and I will say of my soul, so you have much goods laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, sometimes it's our last success that is hindering us. And see, most people, the reason why they never move from success to success to success because they feel that where they are is the best they can be. But how many know God's got a bigger vision for your life? Amen. So here's a take-home statement that I want you to think about. Sometimes our motivations for more are fueled by our fear of lack. Sometimes our motivation for more, sometimes our motivation to succeed is fueled by our fear of lack. When our desire for more should always be fueled by desiring to be a blessing and not just to be in a blessed state. See, the reason why so many people succeed and they stop is because they have become satisfied. 
But when you're living a life in Jesus Christ, God don't want you to just reach a level of satisfaction because he has for your life more people in mind. He's got some more things he wants you to do. He's got more people he wants you to bless. But if you have reached the blessed state and you feel it's just for you, then you feel that that level of achievement, I'm fine. I'm going to do like this man said. Hey, you know what? I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Somebody say amen. And that's why if you write down 1 Timothy chapter 6, it talks about what rich people. He said, tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which can soon be gone, but their pride and their trust should be in the living God who always richly give us all that we need. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those who are in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given to them. Somebody say amen. Amen. So discipline is a good thing that feels bad that eventually produces good. Everybody say discipline is a good thing that feels bad that eventually produces good. And for the time, well, listen, it said for the time being, this is verse 11, no discipline brings joy but seems grievous and painful. In other words, discipline forces you to pay now so you can play later. The discipline of saving that one dollar now. You might pay now, but eventually it'll allow you to play later. Amen. And discipline yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who are trained by it. In other words, the profit of discipline is that it positions us to produce fruit for others to see for others to partake of, and for others to enjoy, and then it brings glory to God. And the word uh, uh, fruit just means good works. Everybody say good works. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So how do you and I open the door to being more disciplined? How do we open that door? Here's number one, and these are the instructions still. In other words, if you came to me, and I was your spiritual doctor and I listened to you and I said, you know what? The issue is you need some discipline. And so I decided, okay, let's now write you a prescription. How many have been to the doctor before? Now, if you want to get well and they write you the prescription, what do you do? You take the prescription, where? To the pharmacy and then when you pay for the prescription and they give it to you, you don't, you don't just admire it, do you? What do you do? You take it according to the directions, right? So here's my prescription for discipline this morning. Here's number one. You must decide that you want another level life. You must decide that you want another level life because life can be better than where it is. I don't care where you are in your life. Life can be better than where it is right now. Number one, that's number one. Number two, you got to die to yourself. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, I am crucified with Christ. You have to die daily in order to be disciplined. You have to die. You just, as soon as you wake up, say, I'm dead. I'm dead. And, and, and see, if you, if, you, if you walk dead, dead people's feelings can't get hurt. 
ain't seen nobody dead in the casket mad because you didn't show up to the funeral. I mean, some of them may look mad, but they ain't mad. They ain't there. Right? Amen. You got to die to yourself. Here's number three. You must count the cost and be willing to pay the price. You must, you must count the cost and be willing to pay the price. Write down Luke 14, 28. I'm not going to read it. But it says, you know, you must first sit down and count the cost. Here's the last one right here. You must devise a plan. In other words, you must have put a list of things that you know that you can do right now. Or you need to now write down the things that God has told you to do. And you need to start doing them because that will make a major impact not only on your life but also on the lives of others. Now, I didn't get permission from her to say this, but it's public because how many know Facebook is public? Facebook is public and, and uh, this, is a, this is an awesome achievement. But there's a young lady in our church named Stephanie Henry. And Stephanie, in April of 2018, decided that she was going to lose some weight. She decided, I don't want to go the surgery route. I'm not saying that surgery is wrong. But this particular young lady decided she was not going to go the surgery route. And although she had to change her diet, she had to change her disciplines, she had to change her mindset. In April of 2018, she made that decision. And as of May of 2019, she has lost 123 pounds. Is Stephanie in the house this morning? Is she in the house? Is she in the house? Stand up, baby. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Let everybody see that 123 pounds gone. Look at that. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Steph. She looks better. She's going to live longer. I know she feels better. And now she's a testimony that you can do it too. Did you learn something this morning? Give the Lord a hand clap if you did. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you may be here this morning. Here's my question. If you die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven?